All right, guys, good morning. morning. Or good afternoon. Wow, someone's excited. I love it. Um, Pastor Craig and Pastor Doug are not here this morning, so we get to say whatever we want. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) We're actually doing a series we just started called This is New Life. Okay, so last week we started it. We're going to go for a couple more weeks after today. And the goal of this series is to refamiliarize you with, no yawning, by the way, just like, <laughs> there's a coffee shop over there if you need it. No, I'm just kidding. To refamiliarize yourself with the values that we have here at New Life, okay? In case you didn't know, not every Christian church believes the same thing or values the same thing. I know, I know, spoiler alert. Uh, but uh, we, we have some specific things that we believe God has called us to. There's obviously the things that the body of Christ is called to. But within that, we believe we have a specific mission here uh, at New Life. So these are the seven whys that we exist. Why do we exist? And we're going to put them up on the screen because I don't have them memorized. And the number one is to disciple others by teaching, mentoring, caring, and praying for each other. That was already happening through worship, which, by the way, is a good sign. If when you're worshiping, the values happen naturally, that means it's, it's happening, you know? Uh, number two, to become emotionally healthy by facing and resolving issues from our past. If this is your first time at New Life and you didn't know this, you're going to hear about it. Every time Pastor Craig comes up, he's going to share about how God wants to heal the whole person and that God is actually using Pastor Craig in a revolutionary way around the world to help bring about some of this revelation. That it's not just come in, say a quick prayer and everything's fine, but there's a work that needs to be done. So this is a unique thing about our church. And the third thing is to cultivate a community that regularly meets to love and encourage each other through life. Okay? This is important because these are the two that we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, Number four is to meet the needs of our community physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Okay, this is super cool because it's not always a priority to to think about things from a physical or emotional standpoint. Often we come in and we say, well, you can get your needs met. Other places, you come to church to just have your spiritual needs met. But, you know, as the second largest food bank in L.A. County, we obviously have taken on a mission as as a church to feed people's body, mind, and spirit and to challenge people on their journey with Christ, okay? So those are the two. Number three and four is what we're going to focus on today. But continuing on through this series, we're also going to talk about how we want to grow the church by contributing our gifts and abilities. Christy talked about giving financially, but also through the gifts and abilities that God has given you, both skills and also spiritual gifts. Uh, And then the last two is to be examples of Christ, known as a positive force for good in the greater Pomona Valley. And it makes me so happy that we were specific about the greater Pomona Valley because geographics matter. They matter to God. He He called Moses and Abraham, but he also made a covenant with Jerusalem, an area. And I think God has a divine destiny for the Pomona Valley. I really, really believe that. It's part of why our family is planted here. And we're going to do this as a church. And the last one, which is also part of my life mission, is to mentor and empower a young generation. If you're part of the young generation, let me hear it. Yes. I wasn't sure if that was Mikey or Jason. Uh, Jason, you're kind of on the, on the border, you know. <laughs> so this is our why as a church. This is why we do what we do. This is what I think sets us apart. This is what makes us 
who we are. And last week, Pastor Craig started this series by talking about your prophetic journey with God, and he shared his prophetic journey with God, which is also completely tied to our prophetic journey as a church, okay? And that is important. I took the time after church last week to go out to Pastor Craig and said, man, that was so real. I don't know if everybody completely captured what you shared, but I've had the fortunate opportunity to be around some incredibly anointed worship leaders, pastors, evangelists, like some really just power-packed men and women of God and every single one of them has a prophetic journey where God spoke to them, invited them into something, and they took a risk of obedience that cost them. Every single one of them. Even if they don't believe in prophetic, they can share when God spoke to them, they followed, took a risk. And I'm like, yeah, that's your prophetic journey, you know? So I love that Pastor Craig shared that, and it's important because everything we're talking about today is predicated on the fact that you, one-on-one -on -one with God, are on a journey to hear his voice and to take risks and pay the price to listen to what he's asking you to do specifically. Amen. And that, I believe that comes after, I mean, you're getting to know scripture, you're, you're taking in the word of God, and then you're listening to the word of God and following it, okay? So that's when it becomes not just pages on a book, but real relationship with a real person. But that leads us to what we want to talk about today. The title of the message today is New Life, colon, Authentic Community. Authentic Community. How do we define authentic community? Today we're going we're gonna to use this phrase, okay? Authentic community, we're going to define today as this, real people, everyone say real people, being real, with other real people, in order to have real relationships, or with the goal of having real, that's a lot of real, real. But in the filtered culture that we live in, it's very important to be real. If you're old like me, you may not know that there was a whole app that younger people were into called Be Real. It's called Be Real, right? Yeah, I just posted my Be Real. You just posted your Be Real. What is she talking about? <laughs> well, you know, we started with MySpace, which is you make this sparkly presentation, you choose your top eight, you know, you pick your music and you present yourself some way, and then it turned into like kind of Facebook, where you're just very plain, but you're, you're saying how many friends you have, that was the goal of that, and then Instagram was how pretty you can make your breakfast look, and, uh, and how much filters you can use, and how to talk about your date with your husband that you're actually fighting with, you know, and you post all these fake pictures, and the younger generation was so sick of, it, sick of it that an app came out called Be Real. And when your Be Real strikes, and correct me guys so like if, it, if I'm getting it wrong because I don't have a Be Real, but when you're, the Be Real strikes, let it, if it's 10.10, 10.10 a.m., and the alarm goes off, everybody has to post what's happening right there, unfiltered, in the moment. 10.10, this is my 10.10, right here. Oh, you have two minutes to, po to be real. So if you, got, you get two minutes to prep <laughs> and fake it, you know? But it became a super popular forum because they were so tired of getting the time to prep and present something. So I'm telling you, man, what we are hearing today in worship was part of the be real generation saying, hey, we don't want fake worship. We don't want fake messages. And when I talk to my pastor friends, some of them are like, oh, the next generation doesn't want to sit in church. 
And I'm like, well, you know what? They're not impressed by good presentations. They want you to be real. They want to know that what you're saying you live. And if they're not close enough to you to be able to prove it, they don't really care. They want to be able to see that how you preach is how you live. So you might need to have some of them over for dinner. You know, you might need to go to their schools. You might need to get involved in their life and be real. So real people, that's us, hopefully, being real with other real people with the goal of having real relationships. Now, what stops us from having real relationships and experiencing authentic community? Well, actually, let's talk about what the Bible has to say about real community. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this was an answer to a lawyer. If any of you are in lawyers in here, you like probably things organized. You want to know what the law says. This is, there was a group of lawyers that in the pharisaical community who wanted to know what does the Bible say? What, does God, what matters to God? What's the most important commandments in the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Okay. And then right after that, he said, this is the first and great commandment. Now, if you grew up as an 80s and 90s Christian, like I did, which was the most Christian of all Christian times in history. I heard Nate Bargetti, a, a comedian, talk about growing up as, uh, with parents of 80s and 90s. Like, I think Jesus had more fun than we did. <laughs> he said, you know, that was the era of take, getting all your Christian CDs, all your secular CDs, putting them in a bag and throwing them in a fire or doing something, you know. That was, we couldn't watch The Simpsons, definitely. Or I remember growing up, we couldn't watch The Smurfs because they had a star a circle or something like that. I don't remember. But it was hardcore Christianity. We didn't, you know, we, we wanted to live different. We wanted to behave different. And I remember going to high school and everything was like, it's all about God. It's only about God. Give your everything, give your all to God. It's true, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And when I got into college and as a young man, I was so committed to this concept. You know, we'd go to like college rallies and everything. It was like, let's leave it all for the kingdom. Let's go to travel the world and do all these things. And those were all good things. I remember even in my, when my 20s, uh, in my early 20s, praying about it and say, God, I'm going to give you this whole decade. I'm not going to get married. My 20s is my best decade. Spoiler alert, it's not. But I thought, this is my best, and I want to give you my best. I want to give you my first fruits, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to be single and commit to celibacy throughout my 20s so I can travel the world and do all this stuff. And I did those things, and, but the thing is, God didn't ask me for that. I think he appreciated the offering, but I got into some trouble because in my 20s, I probably should have got married sooner. I probably should have started a family, um, and I'm thankful for God's mercy and for his grace, but there was such a commitment to like all for God. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, and all means all. And I literally thought, well, how can I love God with all my heart and a partner? And a spouse, how can I love God with all my heart, but also want a career? Like, I felt like that was sin, you know, to want to own a home and have a savings account. Literally, I would argue, I remember I went to this Christian financial class and they talked about a saving. I'm like, no, 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 the Bible says, don't store up your treasures on earth. I didn't believe in savings account. I was like an extremist in a lot of ways, you know? But I really, even in therapy, they were like, well, what happened? What did your parents teach? I'm like, dude, I was just reading scripture. <laughs> and it's it all means all. And if we stop there, which I think a lot of times in church, some of you guys at this point are like, yeah, right on. Let's do it. Let's give another offering, you know? 
But the one we're giving all to didn't finish there. It, what, there's not a, well, there is a period there. I made a mistake. But there's a period, but then the next sentence says, and the second is like this, is like it. And that word like in Greek there, it's a word that means the same. When Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, it was the same Greek word. Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's the same. He said, this commandment is of the same importance as the first commandment, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, he said that is as important as the commandment to love God. That when we're worshiping, and we're like, God, I give you my all, it says this is as important as this, okay? The people sitting next to you, I know that sounds blasphemous, but Jesus said it. Loving the people in the row behind you, I won't say the row next to you because that's probably your family, you probably came with them, but look around for a second. Just take a second to look around. Your relationship with them is as important to Jesus as your relationship with him. I'm just going to let it sit there and marinate and offend a little bit, okay? Let your religion kind of process, let my religion, our religion together process that. You know, I thought about Adam was in the Garden of Eden and he had perfect communion with God before sin had entered the world. Adam, before Adam made a mistake, perfect communion with God in the flesh. And God said, dude, it's not good for you to be alone. He had it. That's the goal, right? Perfect unit, union with God alone in the garden without sin. Now you still need another human. Amen, right? John 13, 34 through 35 says this. Jesus was talking to his disciples. John 13 is the last supper talk he was having with them over dinner. Um, and he said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. This was some of his last words. As I have loved you, that you may also love one another. And he says this right after that. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have the right theology. Oh, wait, no. If you... Behave different than the, no, you didn't say that. Um, by your political affiliate, no, 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 okay. By your Sunday morning church attendance, but he said, this is how they will recognize you. Dude, those people love each other. They came, they wanted to hang out on opening day of NFL. <laughs> they love each other so much. You know, that should be the mark. When people come into church, our community, when they see us together, when they're in your homes, if they were to be in your car with you in traffic, the, the takeaway should not be, man, that's a good sermon. It's not our job to prove that we are Christians. It's not because of how amazing the worship is, even though worship is incredible here. Yeah, oh, all right. Yeah, look at that, Mikey. It should be, dang, those guys really love each other. That's weird. They're kind of awkward. They're like hugging. Do they know each other? Like how does this, how long has this been going on? That they will know you and recognize you by your love for one another. That is the mark that we are believers. The mark of us knowing Christ, 
The thing that sets us apart is how well we love each other. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about loving our city. We're going to talk about you know, giving to our church. But we have a responsibility, just like our responsibility to each other is predicated on our relationship and journey with God. Before we can talk about how to love our enemy, which is a requirement, we have a responsibility to love those in the fold. We have an obligation. It's a non-negotiable. It's not like, oh, I want to, you know, go on a diet soon. I'm trying to eat healthy. I'm trying to get exercise. It is a non-negotiable that we are radically in love with each other and practicing authentic community. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, this is the verse we used to use to try to tell people they have to go to church, it's the law. Um, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And keep in mind that when this was written, the church met every day. Every day after work, they would all come together, they would have a circle and everybody would share their spiritual gift, prophecy, evangelism, teaching, tongues, whatever it was. Everybody in the circle could give of their thing. People that weren't believers could come to that group and then they would kick them out when it was dinner time and they would have a meal together and that meal was the most sacred part. So much so that, and they would take communion, you know, body of, body of Christ, blood of Christ. And when you read in history, most of the persecution, the accusations that came was like, we're killing the Christians for cannibalism. Because we don't know what happens at their love fest dinners that happen, but they're talking about eating body, drinking blood, and let's kill them. They were most hated because of the intimacy that they shared that was exclusive to their mealtime together. And you had to be baptized in order to join that mealtime for the first 400 years of Christianity. So when he says, don't stop meeting, that was not just coming to Sundays. That was every day they were hanging out, spending time together. When our community went through a transition process where we were really trying to focus on community, my goal was that I would connect with every, with every day I would connect with a member of our community. Every day I'd have a conversation, a phone call, a text message, a coffee, every day. And that was like, it was like a job. It was like a full-time thing to stay connected. It's a lot of work. But the Bible is calling us to authentic community. Now, what's stopping us from experiencing authentic community? Why don't we experience this? The first thing is because I think that most of us don't even realize it, but I think we've never even seen authentic community. How do we know? Because as I'm sharing it, probably a lot of us in here are thinking like, yeah, cool, that's me. I experience authentic community all the time. Check, I can leave. I did. Growing up, my parents always had an open door policy. They always uh, let strangers in. My dad would go to the grocery store, come home, and this is your uncle. And it wasn't just a homeless person he had met that later would give their heart to Christ and I'd be in their ring bearer in their wedding. That was, you know, the house I grew up in was constantly open and just loving people, taking them in. That's how I grew up. So, you know, I always go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, conferences. Yeah, I knew what community was until I saw it. Until I had a friend really start to um, call me into authentic community in the way that I had understood. I was around 26 years old, and I went to Brazil, and I met a, a young pastor 
who uh, it, it was in board shorts and tank top and, and sandals most of the time. And we would start, we, I lived with him. We would take groups, but then also him and I became really good friends. And this guy pushed all of my buttons constantly. <laughs> oh, look at me. Someone's like, yeah, yeah, that's the way. You know? Yeah, and I remember one specific encounter. It, we were going on a two-hour drive. Mikey, can you come up here for a second? I'm going to... We were going on a two-hour drive. You can be my passenger, okay? We're going to sit down. Did you see this example in the first service? I sure did. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, imagine you're in a country you've never been in, and you're looking at all the beautiful things, beautiful people. Look around a little bit, okay? So, of course, he's wanting me. This is, we didn't have uh, our phones constantly on. And so this guy was talking to me. Two-hour drive. That's a long drive. And the entire time, as he was making a point, he would do this. And, and, <laughs> And I'm like, keep your eye on the road, bud. And we're talking and look around a little bit more. And so I'm making a really important point right here. And I'm not really an inner thigh guy. I'm more of a space bubble person, or I thought I was. And I'm like, dude, I'm a hugger, but this is a different level, bro. For two hours, this guy made sure that he had my attention and that every point I made he was listening to me. Thank you, Mikey, by the way. That was an anointed leg. Uh, and when we, got to, when we got to our destination, he began to share with me some of the things that were wrong in my life. That's what you want to hear when you're you know, going to do ministry. And I'm like, dude, you invited me as a minister. And he's like, hey, I just want to say, I think that this relationship you're in, it's really manipulative. I think you're being a little manipulative. And I think that the person has bad intentions. You need to completely break off this you know, romantic relationship. And I'm like, oh, cool. So what time is the church starting that we're supposed to be ministering at? And he began to just call me out and stuff. And I remember he would keep dealing with these things in my life, some things that I was walking through and learning through. And at one point, he's like, I'm tired of talking to you because you don't listen. You don't want to listen. I think it's going to take a rock from God hitting you hard in the head before you're willing to change. Cool. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> now, to me, that doesn't feel like authentic community. Authentic community is what I talked about before. Open house. Let's eat. Where's the chips and salsa? Offer me a coffee when I come in. That's, you know, fellowship. Koinonia. This isn't authentic community. This is painful. And, you know, 20 years later, we're still friends. 20 years, wow, yeah, it's been 20 years. He, was, he flew out here, he was in my wedding, he lived with me, he, you know, experienced Thanksgiving with us, and we became real friends, and I don't know that I knew what that was before. In a lot of ways, I look to that as kind of a coming of age, becoming a man thing. The hard part was, when I came home, nobody wanted to do that with me. <laughs> when I'm like, hey, buddy, you need a rock of God to hit you. I'm like, what? I remember when I went back to Brazil in 2010, I got off the plane and some of the people, they're like, ooh, you got fat. That's what they, the first thing they told me. I used to be a lot skinnier than this, but that was about what I am now. And I'm like, guys, filter, please, filter. But one of the things that I realized is in this culture where we, they didn't have the same boundaries, the same filters, 
the same things that keep us separated, I was able to, to, to experience authentic community on, in a, on a level I had never experienced it before. And let me tell you, afterwards, after I tasted it, I wanted it forever. I, like, I can't live another way. I would come back and try, I would visit churches and spaces trying to find people who were real, who wanted real relationship, you know? The second thing, oh, I wanted to share this real quick because uh, sometimes we think, no, I'll skip it. Let's go on to the next thing. <laughs> I know, but I want to keep moving. Distractions, okay? See, I just got distracted right there. Distractions are another thing that keep us from authentic relationship. We live in a world inundated with technology. Our cars and phones are getting smarter, and I think we're getting a little dumber because <laughs> technology's taking over where we used to use critical thought, you know. I'm, not that long ago, when I was in high school, when we drive to L.A. to see a show, we had to have a Thomas Guide as high schoolers. You guys don't even know what that was, but it was Google Maps in a book that you would keep behind your driver's seat, and you'd pull it out and try to drive stick while holding this thing and changing your five-disc player. It was crazy, you know. We, we were still distracted, but it was a different distraction, you know. But when we went on two-hour drives, we could grab each other's thigh because we just had nothing else to do. <laughs> I honestly think that so much of what God has given me as far as revelation and wisdom came because I just had nothing to do for so long. When we went on drives, I would sit in the back of my parents' uh, station wagon and just stare at the ceiling and listen to oldies and just my, use my imagination because that's all I had, you know? And now, it's the minute we get together, and this, my wife and I are guilty of this, so I've seen some funny memes, but it's, oh, we finally put the kids to sleep, and then we're sitting in bed, sending each other reels right next to each other. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we started doing this thing where it's like, hey, I'll watch your reels with you. you know, let's watch some funny things, you know? And we're like reeling together, you know? It's like a 2023 relationship thing. Yeah, be real, we're be reeling. But you know, like, man, so many times, I, one of the things that for me, like I'll put on music and we're in the house together, but I know for a lot of us, let's be real, we get in the house, we just pop on the TV just to have noise. And it's like a quasi community because we hear people talking, commenting on sports, commenting on the news. And if we were to turn off everything, it would feel awkward. And we'd feel like, uh, what I, okay, I'm back. Oh, whew, okay, I feel better, you know? because we're so distracted and we cannot have, that's a barrier to authentic relationship. My family, we were in Catalina Island this summer, we spent a week on family camp, no Wi-Fi, no cell service, and no electricity in our cabins. We couldn't even charge phones if we wanted to. It was crazy. It felt like we were in the old west, you know? They had a bell they would ring to let us know what time it was. And we're like, oh, we don't even know when lunch is. And at first, it was like a panic. Like, what are we doing? And I was doing ministry there. I was leading worship. And I'm like, when does worship start? They're like, you know, after the second bell, just kind of walk towards the beach and start playing. It was so hard for me because here in the West, we are used to everything being in line and distractions all the time, okay? A third thing is a fear of being rejected. As a recovering people pleaser, this one hits hard for me. Fear of rejection. 
I know we have an identity class here, so we can really take time on this. I'm so thankful for identity theology that seems to be really alive, and especially in the charismatic movement where we're saying, hey, if we're going to actually see the power of God, we need to focus on our inner healing, you know. But if your identity and your self-worth is wrapped into anything that can change, it's going to be really hard to have authentic relationships, Okay. Because if you're worried about having a conversation with somebody and the whole time you're worried about what they're going to think about the conversation, if you're, if you're going to have a hard conversation and you're practicing your point, that's a lawyer. That's not a friend, okay? If, you're, if we haven't been healed completely from our fear of rejection, we cannot even begin to have authentic relationships. And there's mercy for you. There's grace. We're all on a journey towards being able to love ourselves the way God loves us so that we can love our neighbor as ourself, to be okay having, with people not liking us. You need to be okay. Young people, you need to be okay with people not liking you. All the parents are like, yeah. In fact, in Luke 6.26, Jesus said this, woe to you when all men speak well of you. The goal of authentic community is not being the most popular person. It doesn't mean I'm liked by everybody. If we do authentic community right, people will not like you. You're going to bug them. It happens all the time, right? And I'm, I'm not talking about being rude, but I'm just saying if you're somebody that always wants to be real, you're going to annoy some people. You're going to make them mad because you want to go deep and they want to stay shallow. <laughs> and that leads us to the next one, which is a fear of being known. That's a weird phrase, and I wouldn't share it that way, that specific phrase, unless it wasn't a big revelation in my life. I remember I had a, a coach therapist guy that was helping me as a pastor at one point, and I was sharing about this young man. He's a young married man that I was really trying to connect to. I wanted to get him involved. I kept trying, kept trying, kept hitting the wall. And when I was sharing about this, he's like, yeah, that guy, I, in my experience, he doesn't want to be known. What does that mean, doesn't want to be known? And he's like, well, you know, every time I try to go deep, he takes it shallow. I don't think he wants to be known. And that was such a, a crazy phrase that made so much sense to me that as I began to look back at, I thought, oh, all of these times when there was people that I tried to connect to, they didn't want to be known. And there was a fear of intimacy. There's a fear of like, oh, they're gonna, if they know me, then they're gonna know about me. They're gonna know my shame. They're gonna know my tendencies. They're gonna know that I eat weird. I literally, I've got a person say, I don't want to have, have meals together with them because they're going to find out that I'm really picky. You know, we're exposed if we're known. And one of the indicators for me is that you're somebody who doesn't want to be known is every time I try to talk to you, respond with cliches or spiritual goobly gawk, you know? <laughs> hey man, how, I heard your sister had surgery. How you doing? Ah, oh, we're blessed with heaven's best on our chest with all the rest. And you're like, what? <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, that seemed like a really traumatic thing that happened, you know? A cleat climbing higher until we're on fire. I don't know, you know? And it's like, all right, man, cool. Well, God bless you, you know? And, but that happens. We do that in church to mask. And you know what you find out is when you hang out with those people on a deeper level and they're real, and you're just like, why don't you just be that guy? You know? I think as, bo as men, we do that a lot. We're just like, eh, just keep, you know, give me the pat from the side. You're like... You know, like, I'm okay, and we want to keep each other at distance, and that is keeping us from authentic relationship. So what then is, what does authentic relationship look like? I'm going to give you what I believe is a recipe that was passed down um, that, uh, you know, like I, I shared with the first service, 
that when I was, got married, I didn't know how to cook at all. I couldn't even scramble an egg. And part of it was because I grew up in a Mexican household where my mom, who happens to be here this morning, she did everything for our household. In fact, still to this day, when my dad comes over, me and my dad are hanging out, I'm like, Dad, do you want me to make you lunch? He's like, uh, no, no, your mom will do it. And I'm like, she's not even here, Dad. It's just us. You know, like, I can cook. I'm a man now, you know? But we're so used to, we weren't allowed to take our dishes into the kitchen. We weren't allowed to even go near that area. It was off limits. Some of, the, some of you, that might sound weird, but that's how we were raised. So when I got married at 33, which is a little late in life, I got, you know, my wife and I, we got home from work. And I'm like, all right, babe, where is it? Where's the food? And she's like, I don't know how to cook. Do you know? And we had to figure things out. And it was like so hard for us that late in life to just be like children to some degree. And we had to learn how to cook. And one of the first things I did was ask my mom for recipes. And what I discovered very quickly was recipes don't make you a good cook. <laughs> a good recipe just means you have good information. Being a good cook means you take a lot of time, a lot of trial and error, and maybe some good friends who eat your bad renditions of good food from good recipes, you know? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk really quickly about ingredients, and it's just the recipe. But it's up to us to kind of uh, practice and figure it out, okay? The first thing that it takes to have authentic community, because I'm learning how to cook when it comes to this as well, is intentionality. Intentionality. Do you even want authentic community? I'm going to tell you, as somebody who's learning to cook in community, if you get a taste for it, man, there's nothing like it. It's hard for me when people won't tell me the hard things in my life. And people are like, oh, no, no, it was good, it was good. I'm like, no, no, I know it was, didn't go right. Can you just give me some honest feedback, you know? <laughs> I'm thankful for that in my life, for people that are willing to do that, you know? But do you even want that? And again, if you're still scared, you're like, no, I don't want anybody near me. Maybe last week's message is a good place to start because on our authentic journey with Christ as we're learning and being open to him, working on us, he's so patient, he's so loving, he's so gracious, he's so tender, and he will love to work on those things as we begin to build. But we, it's a non-negotiable that we come to a, our point. I think it's a salvation type non-negotiable that we are longing for and committed to authentic relationships with one another, especially when it comes to other believers. It's not an option. Okay, it's, it's a non-negotiable. And I know um, when my wife and I, when we, were first, when we first got married, this is one of the things that in premarital counseling we went through. There was a question on our premarital counseling that we answered separately, and then we talk about it together, and then we meet with our counselors. And one of the questions was, how many days a week do you, do you feel you would be open to hosting people in your home? And, you know, growing up in the kind of home I described, I said, yeah, you know, obviously we're going to be open to people that are in need, strangers, people, you know, young people that need a home to feel comfortable in or whatever. And then the follow-up question is, how many days a week would you set aside just to be with your partner alone? And, I'm, you know, I'm a good husband. I knew I was going to be great at this. I'm like, I'm definitely going to set one day aside a week where it's just me and my wife, date night, whatever, just me and her spending one-on-one -on -one time alone. When I got together with my wife, she had answered the same questions. She said exactly the opposite. <laughs> she said, I really think as Christians, we're going to at least spend one day a week 
where we're having people over, maybe a Friday night barbecue, we'll have people. And then, you know, of course, obviously, the other six days a week is just gonna be us together, just me and him spending quality time, you know, just relaxing at home alone. And right away, we found this was a conflict. And in fact, some of our first big fights were because people would just show up at our house and Jen would come home, my wife like, why are they here? I'm like, I don't know, I didn't invite them, I don't want them here either, but we have to let people in. This is how I grew up, you know? How you grow up versus how your partner grows up. That's premarital counseling 101, okay? And we would fight over this, and so we took time apart because our relationship with God predates pre, uh, our relationship with each other. So for us, our relationship with God is separate. We don't necessarily do devotional and prayers together. I don't know why I'm sharing that, but we don't. We just, we have relationships. We were married before we got married. So I have my relationship with Christ. She has hers with Christ. So we separated just for a time to pray. And she came back and she said, I don't need any new friends. Some of you introverts can be like, yeah, I, I relate. I got two, I'm good for life. She's like, I don't need any new friends. It exhausts me when people come over. I don't like people coming over my house when I don't, didn't know they were coming and they make a mess and then they don't clean up after themselves. And she gave her list of complaints, which were all valid, by the way. And then she said, but I believe... God wants us to have community, and that's an area I want to grow in. And I, as a husband, said, okay. And I realized I don't have any boundaries. <laughs> I'm a mess, and I need to start making people invite, be invited and clean up their mess and let us know ahead. And so we found our culture as a family, as a married couple, so that it wasn't my parents' culture versus her parents' culture. It was this new thing we were creating, but we came together to decide that we believe not what we prefer, not what we feel most comfortable, not what gives us life and energy, but what we believe God was calling us to was authentic community. And so much so that it changed the way we pastored, we lived, and we made all these decisions where we send our kids to school, all around intentionality. Um, my buddy of mine, Aaron Martinez, used to call me every time I needed something, every time I was hurting, every time I was broken. I had a buddy and he would call me and he was like, the guy had a hotline with, with Holy Spirit. He always knew the right moment. And one day I was like, dude, how do you always know? You always nail it. You always know the time to call me. And he said, ah, oh, can I be honest with you? I'm like, yeah, be real. And he said, uh, I have you scheduled. <laughs> I have a scheduled call with you on my calendar in my office once a month. I'm like, that's cheating. <laughs> that's not the Holy Spirit, you know? But what I found out is that this guy loved me so much that he scheduled a call with me every month and really, it's that we're always in need of a phone call. We're always in need of a little encouragement. And he just took the time to intentionally, strategically plan on how to build a friendship with me. And to this day, I've learned so much from him about being a good friend, okay? I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. The next one is interdependence. And the Bible says that um, if you have two tunics, Jesus said, somebody has none, you give it to them. Interdependence means we're providing for each other's needs. It's not a welfare system, it's interdependent. It means that when somebody needs something, you're giving to them. Now the hard part I found is not giving to somebody in need, but asking for help when you're in need. I feel like in Christianity, that's the hard part. Like, hey man, I'm really struggling. You know, my friends, and it took for me, it took me taking time out of ministry. Because as long as I was pastor, I felt weird sharing with people. Like, hey, you know, I'm not talking to my wife right now. We had a big fight last night, and we didn't make up to today. We went to work mad. 
Who do I tell that? They're going to like, pastor? You know? Well, you have, to call, you have to call your pastor. No, I need friends. We need friends too up here, guys. I don't know that I had really good friends until much later in life. And then I found a lot of ministers. It's this weird thing in church where we have people that minister to us, but we're not really friends with. And then we have our ministry, oh, the young people. And a lot of times we don't have friends. I, that's maybe just a ministry thing, but I think that's, that's speaking to some people in this room, okay? And that lead, interdependence means being vulnerable with each other, okay? It's another scary word, being vulnerable. It means being able to allow yourself to be injured. You know, in samurai culture, not that I know, I don't do anything physical, you know, but my buddy who's a black belt, Matt Hernandez, he told me, he's like, in samurai culture, when you give a sword, you give it to them with a the blade pointing towards yourself and the handle pointed toward them. And what you're saying is, in my power and strength, I love you enough to give you this gift with the position that you could kill me. And he said, that's a true sign of, of peer friendship in this samurai culture, you know? And I, that's such a great image. Of, it's not saying, you know, like somebody's cutting you and you're letting them. It's saying, in this friendship, I'm giving you permission to say the hard things to me. I'm allowing vulnerability. We need those relationships. If you don't have anybody that can call you out in your stuff, you don't have authentic community. You probably don't even have an actual friend. And a lot of us are in that position in life, okay? Um, the uh, fourth point is clear and honest communication, which is about being specific. In our house, we practice this. Even with our kids, we don't allow passive communication. We literally, it's a value. We don't allow it. You know, if, kid, if a, one of my kids is getting ice cream, I have another kid who will be like, I wish somebody would give me ice cream. And I won't tell you which kid he is, but I'll say, Lincoln, you need to ask. <laughs> Just ask, Papa. Dad, can I have ice cream? No, you can't. You know? <laughs> but we, we want to teach our kids. We don't want them to be adults who don't know how to ask for what they want and speak clearly, and be okay with rejection. Because again, we're afraid of rejection, that's why we don't want to ask, so we'll just kind of throw it out there, somebody give me ice cream, please, you know? No, we want you to ask, specifically. Even when my wife, poor thing, when she says, oh, I love you, and I'm like, why specifically, though? <laughs> I always, she knows, you know? It's like, oh, she doesn't even tell me anymore, you know? Like, well, just can you give me like a couple bullet points or something, like what, give me some feedback here, you know? Yeah. Be specific, be clear, be concise. You know, Abraham Lincoln, right after writing one of the greatest speeches ever, the um, <laughs> Gettysburg Address, he wrote a letter to a, a long letter to a friend at the end, apologized and said, I'm sorry this letter is so long, I didn't have a lot of time. I'm sorry this message is so long, I didn't have a lot of time. Implying that if he had more time, he would have shortened it and trimmed it to trim the fat, you know? Be clear, be concise. I don't know about you, I've definitely had text messages where like, I gotta wind this down. I'm sharing like this message right now, you know? Like I got a lot of things that I wanna share, but what's the real thing I'm trying to say? And I love you enough to say the real thing even though you may reject me for it, okay? And then um, that means also providing grace and forgiveness. Peter, I'm sure had a, he's one of the only ones that we see had a wife because at one point um, Christ healed his mother-in-law. And so we know that he had family and he said, hey, if my brother offends me seven times, do I need to forgive him all seven times? And Jesus is like, yeah, 70 times seven. In other words, infinite. 
Now that's not, again, this isn't an excuse to be a victim and be abused. What this means is in these authentic relationships, we need to give perpetual grace and forgiveness that we're committed to life, okay? In these equal relationships. And that the last thing is, the last ingredient to this spicy soup that we're making called authentic community is time. We need to give time. Not just long time, but also frequency of time. We need to make it, you know, my buddy Aaron Martinez, every month he would call me for years. And now, 10, 20 years later, we don't necessarily talk every month, but there's been enough time where when we talk, it's like we never, we never stopped, you know? Some of the friends that I have, mo- most of the best friends I have in life are not the ones I necessarily see all the time, but now that there's been frequency and then length of time, now those are like friends for life. They can call me in, and I, no matter what, I would stop. You need somewhere to stay. We have these relationships where it would be um, their lifelong relationships. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Mike is going to take us through something. Yeah. There's a lot. I know this is, a, this is a teaching which is a little different than one of the raw messages, you know, where, I, where if I would come up and share. And I purposely was trying to not be cute. I was trying to be like, give us some points here because I think this is critical to our Christianity, or to our faith. This is critical to the fact that if we're going to make an impact, you know, even when Pastor Craig shares about, you know, coming to the end of the age and experiencing things, when COVID happened, our community that our church had decided to stop doing Sundays and we were just meeting and trying to really practice this. I'm literally, I'm writing a book about this. I, to experience authentic community during COVID, we actually thrived because we met each other's needs. Anytime one person would go to the store, we had this group of about eight families and it's like, hey, I'm going to the store. What do you need? And we created a group list and we would Drop off. People, whoever was going that day would do drop-offs for each other, pick up food. While people were sick, we would take care of each other's meals, and we really lived it out. We tried to. We're getting there. We're learning how to make this recipe, and I think this is something that's going to be one of the factors that is going to help us to survive any kind of tragedy, any kind of conflict. Any, there's nothing the enemy can do when the people of God are united. I don't even need to worry about it. Do whatever you want. We are united. We're one. We're together. We're worshiping together. And I know that God is calling us into a place because heaven's going to be forever, and it's, but it's not just with him. We're going to be there together, guys. You're stuck with me. We're stuck with each other. Why don't you stand with me as we worship together? I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're just, if you need prayer for, uh, if anything we said triggered something, if I'm talking about being vulnerable again, and you're like, nope, nope, shut it down, that may be a good place to start. If we're sharing about authentic community and you were thinking of relationships that have been broken, you're like, I did experience that, and it's broken, and I'm afraid to do it again. If that's you, we, this is a good place to start. I really do think that God wants us to walk in healing, but it's not just for us, it's for us, okay? And I think as we're going to enter, and it even feels different, you're going to see it as we worship right now, it's going to feel different because you're not going to just feel like tunnel vision, you're gonna, your peripheral vision is going to begin to increase. And in order to walk in the prophetic, 
We need peripheral vision. We need to see people. I've been around some incredibly prophetic people and they don't say, usually if you see the most prophetic people, Sean Bowles and some of those kind of guys will like call out names. During worship, they're usually looking around. That's what, I, that's what I was taught. Look around during worship because God will point out people. That's crazy. No, we're supposed to focus. Close your eyes. Worship. And yes, we do. But we're not doing it alone. We're doing it together, my friends, my family. We are in this together. We are not alone. Let's worship.